Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. It is the week after Easter. I had to think about that for a second. Uh, by the time you're hearing this, it will be the week after Easter Sunday. And uh, the last podcast episode was reflecting on the crucifixion. But this week, Randy and I are going to be talking about proof of the resurrection. About the resurrection and all the arguments against it. Uh, we want to we wanna really dig into why we can be certain that the resurrection took place. What's up, Randy? Hey, I am ready for spring. Hey, me too. <laughs> and I'm really tired of this Indiana thing that's going on where it's like, oh man, today it's really nice outside. And then the next day and I'm like... And then the next morning. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm not going to wear my jacket. Yesterday was great. Let me scrape the frost off of my windows now. <laughs> it's so silly. Any of you that have never been to Indiana, it's a make-believe place. Um, you should really check it out sometime. If you're really into never knowing what the next day is going to hold for you, this is the state for you. That's right. And they say if you don't like the weather in Indiana, just wait five minutes. That's accurate. It'll change. So my dad once said, actually he said it a lot because he thinks it's hilarious, but he said the only reason he can come up with that our ancestors would have settled here is that there was just so much wildlife that you would walk out your front door, step on your dinner, and you could just call it a day. Because <laughs> you wouldn't have to exert any kind of effort. Because there's no other reason why that's they would true. have wanted that's to live true. here. <laughs> so man rode kill galore. We that's, right, that's right. That's <laughs> right. Um, okay. All that fun aside. So, yeah. Let's take a look at the resurrection. But what we're going to look at is the physical aspect of the resurrection, not the theological meaning of it. That's that's a topic for a different day. Right. Um, we've talked about the theological meaning of it, I think, a little bit as well. Um, we did. We did last week, I think, when we were talking about the crucifixion, because you can't really look at the crucifixion without looking at the resurrection. Too. Right. They're, they're kind of a package deal. Yeah. But but this is almost like a, like a, a Lee Strobel sort of look at things today like let's let's rationalize this thing let's part of what we want to do is help you uh, defend your faith and uh today what do you do if somebody says well i'm not really sure that jesus rose from the dead right and so randy has printed out a nice little list of references uh of defenses and arguments and things I want to play a little bit of devil's advocate, though. Um, when I when I hear something uh, that that I guess I could just hear somebody making an, an argument against, I want to go ahead and make that argument now. Um, this is unprompted. We haven't gone through those arguments. I don't know what no. we're doing. No. So um, we'll see what happens here. But let's let's play ball. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do we need to sing the national anthem? <laughs> no, we're, we can start. We're, we, we're okay. We can do without that. Yeah, all righty, all righty. There are – so I, I was looking around, and uh, th- there are like four arguments against the crucifixion. Two of them, to my way of thinking, are so stupid they, they – I'll mention them, but come on. <laughs> so the first one, Jesus didn't really die. Jesus 
swooned. Right. And that's actually, it's an argument from the early 1900s. And the guy who proposed it used the word swoon. It's called the swoon theory. That uh, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. They took his body down and they thought he was dead. And they they wrapped him up in some ointment and and got him nice and warm. And then they put him in the nice, cool tomb. And uh, after a day or so there, he kind of revived and came back to himself and and uh, realized what had happened and decided to capitalize on it and say, hey, I'm back from the dead. And what a strange theory. That is. And the rebuttal for that is, come on. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll take it a step further, though. I mean, we just talked about a couple weeks ago um, – the way you die in the crucifixion is suffocation. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we can take it even further than that, actually. You suffocate because you have to use your leg strength to raise yourself up to take a breath. Right. Because when you don't push against your legs, you can't breathe. Right. And so he would have died. Had he passed out, he if would he have died. If he had passed out, he would have been gone. Exactly, because he wouldn't have been able to breathe. Right. Beyond that. The Romans would then stab him through the heart with a spear to make sure he was dead. These guys were professionals. They knew what they were doing. (laughs) There was no way around this. They would stab you through the heart to make sure you're dead. They would break your legs so you couldn't lift yourself up for for the breath. Or they would crack your skull. (laughs) And so with all that, it wouldn't have mattered had he swooned. And they – That's it. They came to Jesus, looked at him and said, he's dead. (laughs) And they were the professionals. They were on the spot. They had seen living people and dead people before. This is so ridiculous as to be nonsensical. And literally nobody really accepts that today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was like the the Neil uh, Nabil Qureshi uh, statement that there is not a recorded survivor of crucifixion in the history of Rome. Right, right. Why would this be the exception? Right, exactly. Well, the second one is there's there's kind of a little bit more of a possibility to it, and that is it was all a hallucination. Uh, the people that saw Jesus, they really wanted to see Jesus. He had talked about coming back from the dead, and they really wanted him to be back from the dead, so they imagined it all. They hallucinated. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's a little bit more believable, but not much. No. It, so if I'm going to play devil's advocate, there are instances of people sharing in hallucinations. Um, there are. But it's always under the influence of something like ayahuasca or DMT. It's like right, they go out right, and they right. trip on this thing Some together. drug-induced. Right. But Christianity prohibits drug use. Oh, and that that was not a part of the culture, the Jewish culture of the day. No, it was not okay. You didn't do drugs in Judaism. No, Um, no, no. It it doesn't make sense. And to my way of thinking, let's okay. Let's suppose that they hallucinated it. So when they start saying Jesus has raised from the dead, how do you refute that as a Jewish religious leader? You go to the tomb, you open the stone, you say, there's the body. Right. Right. I mean, if he did not raise from the dead, rise from the dead, 
then there's a body there. I guess what I'm what I'm kind of fuzzy on on this whole hallucination concept. Are they saying that he didn't get crucified at all? No, no, no. They're saying that he he was crucified and he died. But they wanted to see him so bad that they just kind of invented the whole thing in their heads. Oh, they they hallucinated. They seeing hallucinated him after seeing the, him. So over five hundred people hallucinated at different at points time. in time. Yeah. Well, well, not even at the same time, at different first, points in time. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says there were over 500 that saw him at one time. That is scientifically impossible. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, the other two, uh, these have possibilities in them. Sure. Uh, the first one is that somebody stole the body of Jesus. Which is what the Jewish leaders right. said. And you get different possibilities. The disciples maybe stole the body of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, some say, okay, it wasn't the disciples, but Joseph of Arimathea. He never really buried the body of Jesus. He pretended to, but then he actually took the body of Jesus somewhere else. And he was the one that created this whole myth of mm. Jesus coming back to life. And then there are others who say that the Jewish leaders stole the body of Jesus to do whatever they wanted to do with the body of Jesus. In fact, there's one story that uh, they stole the body of Jesus, and then a month later, they drugged the body of Jesus around Jerusalem behind a chariot, kind of like the Troy and uh, who was it, Hector, that... uh, that um, Brad Pitt killed. What? what? <laughs> I don't remember. Achilles. 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 Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Achilles kills Hector and drags his body in in front of the gates of Troy, and uh, they say that happened. Well, you can kind of throw that out because if they had the body of Jesus, why would they not produce it when the disciples start gathering a following? Precisely because... To just shut it down immediately. Exactly. Well, they here he say is. Jesus has risen from the dead. Right. And they got the body. They're going to show the body. Joseph of Arimathea, what did he have to gain? Why would he do that? That's one of the things that's just insane. Well, so I guess you can make the argument, and once again, devil's advocate. I'm not saying these things because I believe them. I'm saying them because I feel like they may be valid arguments that somebody could bring up. Could you not say that these people believed in this cause that they were putting together, that they were going to create the Messiah, right? And that by doing so would spur into action some kind of revolt, stir into action this new way of life that they saw was good. I have the argument for that. Right. Well, and I think that's what people are actually saying. Right. Now, there are um, several passages, and uh, Zach made reference to things that I had printed out. It's not really the arguments. I just wanted to print out uh, some of the – well, let's let's get into it and explain it. Uh, from Matthew chapter 28, we have from the Gospels themselves, this is one of the stories that's propagated. So in Matthew chapter 28, verse 11, as the women were on their way, 
some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened when Jesus rose from the dead. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get into trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe. They said what they were told to say, and the story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. Now, they tell it today, that would have been at the writing of the Gospel of Matthew, which is probably around 70, 75, maybe even 80 AD. So uh, you're within 50 years of the death of Jesus, and the story that well, he never really rose from the dead, he he was, his body was stolen, and they're lying about it. That was still present then. Justin Martyr is one of the early uh, church fathers. He he wrote, he was born in about 90 A.D., and he lived about 55, 65 years, so sometime around 50, uh, 150 A.D., he uh, wrote down his thoughts in a tractate that he called Contra Trifo. And Trifo is a Jewish leader who is trying to refute Christianity. And Justin Martyr writes an apologetics course. He he defends the faith against Trifo's arguments. Now listen to one of the arguments. Justin Martyr says to Trifo, you have sent chosen and ordained men throughout all the world to proclaim that a godless and lawless heresy had sprung from one Jesus, a Galilean deceiver whom we crucified. Now this is Justin Martyr putting words in Trifo's mouth. So Jesus was a Galilean deceiver whom we crucified, but his disciples stole him by night from the tomb where he was laid when unfastened from the cross. And they now deceive men by asserting that he has risen from the dead and ascended to heaven. Now that's Justin Martyr saying, here's an argument, Trifo, that you present against Christianity. And it's this story that somebody came and stole the body of Jesus. And then finally around 200 AD, Tertullian, another church father, uh, again in one of his books, he wrote about eight or nine, and this one is called Apologetics. He says to the people that he's defending the faith against, you yourselves have the account of the world portent still in your archives, that when his body was taken down from the cross and placed in a sepulcher, the Jews in their eager watchfulness surrounded it with a large military guard, lest, as he had predicted his resurrection from the dead on the third day, his disciples might remove by stealth his body and deceive even the incredulous. So here is Tertullian saying, you went to great pains to protect Jesus' body from being stolen by his disciples because 
you expected them to come and do that. Right. So you get, now they're not exactly at the same time, but they're awful close. They're within 100 years of Jesus' death. And what they're saying is that the story that his body was stolen is still floating around today. Right, right. The The other thing to me that doesn't make any sense, though, is these guys that Jesus took on as disciples were devout Jews. They were very Jewish, very monotheistic, very much a part of the Jewish culture. Why would they, having seen Jesus was not who he said he was and that this was all a sham— go against everything they believed to propagate a lie that was not in line with the God that they served up until Christ. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. It, doesn't ma- it doesn't make any sense that they would just abandon all of their previous faith and then say, because uh, clearly, had Jesus died and not resurrected from the dead, they would have just gone, he was a liar. We wasted our time. The Messiah is still coming. Who is it? Right. But they didn't. They said, no, it's him. Like, you see what, like, it doesn't, it just does not make sense. So you start looking at uh, that argument that they came and they stole the body. And there are all kinds of problems with that. Uh, uh, First and foremost, you still have the reality of an empty tomb. Um, There's not only an empty tomb, but I think it's three of the Gospels records something very unusual about the funeral cloth that they used to wrap Jesus' body in. Uh, John is the one that goes into greatest detail. John says that uh, Nicodemus brought uh, strips of cloth so they could basically make a mummy. And for very influential people, they would do that. Uh, The Jews would... They wouldn't mummify the body like the Egyptians did, where they they pull the internal organs out and then soak it like in in from basically they would pickle the body and save it that way. That's not what they would do, but they would wrap it like a mummy, and th- there would be this cocoon around the body. And in the book of John, it says that when Peter stooped down and looked in the tomb. He saw the grave clothes there. He went in to examine them closely, and what he found was that the head cloth, they didn't wrap the head like they did the rest of the body. The rest of the body, they wrapped these strips of cloth around it in 75 pounds worth of sticky ointment. Then over the head, they put like a towel, a, a head cloth. So Peter went in and examined it, and it says what he found was the grave cloths, the strips of cloth, still rolled up upon themselves, but the head cloth had been taken and set in a separate place. Now it's like Jesus, later on, same book, Book of John, we see him appearing in a room that has locked 
doors because apparently walls and doors have no more meaning for Jesus. So you have Jesus just kind of sitting up from the grave clothes and leaving them behind. But so the disciples would know that there's something going on there. He took the head cloth and he put it somewhere else. So when Peter goes inside, he sees this kind of a cocoon-shaped Like a body-shaped cloth. Right. Kind of like a cicada. You ever seen those little? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the form of the insect, but there's nothing inside. Peter sees that, and at first, apparently, he kind of rests, kind of thinks, oh, the body's there. But when he goes in to examine it, he sees there's no head because the head cloth has been moved. So he looks inside and realizes there's no body in there either, <laughs> hmm. which the reality is the, the, the angels rolled away the stone, not so Jesus could get out, but so the disciples could get in and see the evidence that was there in front of them. So you have the reality of an empty tomb. You have the reality of the funeral cloths. You have the difficulty of if the disciples were the one to steal the body. According to all of the accounts that we have, they were in hiding. Right. They were hiding from the Romans. Because they thought they were next. They figured, they, and there is evidence in the text that the Jewish leaders didn't want one cross. They wanted 14 crosses, the 12 disciples, Jesus, and Lazarus. So they were in hiding, and all of a sudden they come out and steal the body right out from under the Roman guards' noses. Right. That would be really unusual. You have the statement of the Roman guards themselves. The disciples came while we were sleeping. Well, if they were asleep, how'd they know who came? And they wouldn't have slept. They would never have slept. Because that, that's a death penalty. The penalty for for uh, sleeping on guard is death. That's true in Israel. That was true especially in Rome. If you were there to guard somebody and that somebody got away, you died. Right. And you see that in the Old Testament. David actually does that at one point. Um, you have, by all accounts... When Jesus, <laughs> when Jesus rises from the dead and stands there in front of them and says, I'm back, they look at him and say, huh? <laughs> they do not understand the resurrection. Right. I think the thing you run into, though, as well, with non-Christians that are going to argue against this um, they're not going to look at the Bible as an evidence because they believe that the Bible is a construct. Right. You know what I mean? And so I think that all of this extra biblical stuff, like reading things from uh, Justin Martyr or uh, we're going to get into a few others. Yeah. Um, I think that stuff's very important when talking to people that don't believe in the Bible. We can't always argue from 
right. scripture right. alone right. Right. for right. people that don't believe in the right. validity right. of scripture. Um, and here, I mean, in this case, we can talk about uh, what other other authors, other sources say about this idea. All that shows us is that the idea was around from the very start. Right. It's not. It wasn't something that came later. Right. It was immediate. No, it was immediate. Um, but it lasted. It's it's still proposed even today, and there are people who believe that the disciples stole the body. And Jesus never really rose from the dead. Is that the same argument you would give to somebody that doesn't believe that Jesus even existed, that he was crucified, or? Yeah, yeah, you get the same type of argument. You get other uh, references to Jesus from outside the New Testament. And they're pretty much contemporaries. Uh, they're they're awfully close anyway. Uh, they did not appear to have any doubt that an individual called Jesus lived and and, right. and breathed and, and walked. Right. Yeah. Right. And then, I mean, you have to take into consideration that, like— uh, like like we talked about before with uh, was it the Talmud that talks about a sorcerer yeah. named uh, Yeshua bin Joseph, Joseph. Yep. and yep. then uh, uh, Islam believes that there was a prophet named Jesus that right. did miracles. You right. know, like it's it's something you see over and over again. But. Yeah. All right. Now now the 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 final argument against this point of view. To me, this the strongest case is, okay, so let's say the disciples stole bodies, uh, Jesus' body. Um, they created this whole thing because they didn't want to go back to fishing. They had a cushy life now. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that is literally what some people say and believe, that uh, they had a cushy life. They were going to live off of other people by spreading this lie about Jesus and take their tithes and uh, create this church and live off of the church. Um, they died for this. All of them. All of them. John was the only one that died of old age, and he died imprisoned over this. Right. All of them. Not a single one of them recanted. Not a single one of them, when it came right down to it, said, okay, 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 we really stole Jesus' body. Now— You've got 11 of them. Throw Paul in there. You've got 12. You've got Stephen. You've got, you know, a number of other martyrs. These guys saw what happened. If they had made this lie, somebody's going to come out to save their skin. If they are indeed looking for a cushy life, when the sword is against their throat, they're going to say, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, we made it all up. But they don't. Pete, Peter was so afraid for his life when Jesus was being crucified that he denied that he even knew him three times. Like, they were aware that this was not a good situation to be in. Right. And then you said Paul. Yeah. Paul's a Pharisee. Right. Paul was condemning Christians to be... I mean, basically sending them to their death. I mean, they were going to be put to death. Um, now, in Paul's mind, he saw the resurrected Christ because Christ stood in front of him and called him to go to the Gentiles. Right. But up until that point, he had been 
opposing the Christians. Absolutely he had. And so my point is you've got this guy that did have a cushy life, that did have <laughs> the truth – or sorry, that didn't – sorry, that experienced the truth and then gave up that cushy life to go after the truth. Yep. He gave up – I mean he would have been a, a – I mean he was a Roman citizen. That's right. He wasn't just a Jew. He was he was better than that in that culture. He had it made. He had it made, and he gave it all up to go be persecuted and eventually killed. Right. Yeah. And almost from the time that he decided, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow Jesus. From that point, they started trying to kill him. Well, I mean, and that's what Jesus says, though. I mean, you're gonna suffer for me. Yeah. Uh, it's. Yeah, that, that that one doesn't make any sense to me. The last one is probably the one that most of us are going to hear. And uh, the whole reason we're doing this is because we may, when we begin to talk about Jesus and eventually get around to saying, yeah, he rose from the dead, uh, we're going to find people saying, I just don't, I struggle with that. I just don't think that's possible. Most of the people who would say that, they're not going to say the disciples stole the body. They're not going to say there was a swoon. They're not going to say uh, any any of the other things that we've talked about. They're going to say the whole thing was invented. This was the invention of somebody years later who kind of projected Jesus back uh, decades, centuries before. And they fill his mouth with nice words, with good teachings. And they say he did miracles and that he was crucified and that he rose from the dead. But none of that really happened. So yeah. have you ever come across anybody that would say things that way? Um, y- yes. Um, the big one I hear, like, uh, is Bill Maher. His documentary he made called Religious. Have you oh, seen that? Yeah. No, I have not. Um, he makes a few arguments. And uh, one of them is uh, about Mithra. Um, so, sorry, some of this is a little graphic. Uh, so I apologize, but you, you kind of need to know the story to understand why it makes no sense. Um, there was a book published in. Uh, like it would have been around the Nazi regime and the whole, it, they were all out of Germany under the Nazi regime. And the whole concept was to destroy or to discredit Christianity. Um, and so all of these arguments come from these books from that time okay. and they had been discredited, but now you see people using these arguments again. It's really strange how they've resurfaced, but they will say that the story of Jesus was stolen from Mithra, and they say that the story of Jesus was stolen from Horus. Now, the problem with those is the story of Mithra is nothing like the story of Jesus. Mithra's story is like your typical Greek god story. It, it didn't even slightly resemble the story of Jesus. But what happened is after the crucifixion, like a hundred years after, the Greeks said, hey, we want a God like that. <laughs> and so they modeled the story of Mithra after the Christ story. And so if you look at the story of Mithra, I think it's the Greeks. Uh, it might 
it might be uh, sorry it might be the persians um but the the story is the same but that's because they changed it after jesus they were copying jesus they copied instead the story of jesus, of jesus. Copying them. yeah but yeah. you don't you don't get that version of it right. the other one is horus they say oh yes the story of horus he's born a virgin birth he dies on a crucifix all this when you go look at the story of horus horus's mother is isis his father is Osiris. Osiris is killed. So she takes his body. It's diced up into pieces. And I'm sorry for this. This is graphic. Um, she sews his body back together, all these pieces. But his genitals are missing. And so she crafts them out of gold, sleeps with the body of this zombie, basically, and has Horus, who is a bird man. Okay, and then they the reason they say he died on a crucifix is because the only statue we've ever found of Horus, his arms are outstretched to the left and right, has nothing to do with the cross. Has not, it's like when you go back and break all this stuff down, it's just utter lies. Wow. But you don't get that. We no. just see it today. And it's, no. yeah, did you know that Jesus is just a copy of that story? And, and that's really where most people are probably going to stop. They're going to go, oh, I can't believe that. But do a little digging. Like, you will yeah, find out yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. bogus. Look at the story. It, Go read it. That's nothing like the story of Jesus. So, sorry for that graphic. Uh... No, no, no. That's <laughs> helpful. That's helpful. So, the, the way to refute that, there is very early testimony of the resurrection. And this, uh, well, first of all, uh, you you can't throw out just... Ipso facto, you can't throw out the testimony of the gospel writers or of uh, the apostles. Paul is the first one to write in great detail about um, the resurrection. That happens in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, if you look at all of Paul's letters, Paul wrote 13 letters, but uh, there are those who would say that. Uh, he didn't really write all of those letters. Some of them come from others of his followers. But there is consensus among scholars on four of the letters. Romans, Galatians, 1 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians. Scholars agree that 1 Corinthians comes from Paul. And it comes from about the year 50. Now that's just 20 years after the resurrection. So, in 20 years, they invent this lie, either about the resurrection or about the entire life of Jesus. Within 20 years, again, if Jesus lived, you've got a tomb with a body if he didn't rise from the dead. And the Jewish leaders who were very concerned about this could easily go to the tomb, open it up, and see, there are the bones. Take a look. That is Jesus. They couldn't because he wasn't there. Hmm. Okay. Josephus. We haven't talked really a whole lot about Josephus. We've mentioned him from time to time. Josephus was a Jew that came from Egypt when Rome uh, began to conquer one of the things that they would do is they would incorporate local military people into their own army, and they would actually become part of the Roman army. 
Well, Josephus was one of them. He was a Jew, but he was a military man. And so he actually became part of the army that the emperor Titus used to go and conquer uh, Jerusalem in the year 70. They tore down the temple, and what Josephus does is he writes a series of books. One of them is called The Antiquities of the Jews, Um, and the purpose of that is to help Rome understand Jewish history and Jewish culture. Wrote another one called War of the Jews, and that's all about the war to take down Jerusalem. And Isn't there a history of the Jews? There's a history of the Jews. There's autobiography, and there's another one that's it's much shorter, and it's kind of a theological thing. It's about Jewish beliefs. Yeah. But the Antiquities of the Jews is the one that interests us here because in the Antiquities of the Jews, he is simply presenting the history of the Jews from creation— right up until his day, which would have been around 70 A.D. Near the end of the book, he writes, Now there was about this time, Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles, He was the Christ, the Messiah. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day. As the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him, And the tribe of the Christians, so named from him, are not extinct at this day. Now, Rome was aware of the Christians. They considered the Christians at about this time, about 70 AD, to be a sect of Judaism. So Christianity was kind of covered. Uh, The Jews outlawed religions wherever they went unless they gave them special permission. Judaism had special permission. They did not have to worship the emperor because they had a religion that was authorized by the Roman government. Christianity fit there in their minds. So what you end up seeing, uh, sometimes the Jewish leaders would attack Christianity before Roman authorities saying they're not part of us. And sometimes you see uh, Christian leaders actually saying we're protected under the Jewish Hmm. uh, uh, religion. Because they're an extension. Yeah. So depending on how they present it, Paul's letters, uh, Paul just doesn't have any problem with this. If if Rome doesn't like it, he doesn't care. Uh, No, Christianity is different. This is very different. But... You get these indications. The issue here is, though, you have Josephus, who's writing just, say, 20 years after Paul, saying Jesus existed. He walked the earth. He had followers. And he rose from the dead. Now, 
What's not clear is, is Josephus a follower? He is at least saying that the story that he rose from the dead is out there. Um, whether he believed it or not, I'm not so sure. Just because of the way he lived and, and you know, other things. This never becomes a huge thing in the rest of his writings. And you would think if he was really a follower of Christ, he would have made more of it. He doesn't. Right. But he does talk about it. Which <laughs> I, you and I talked about this a little bit. Um, there's, there are people that say that that is actually an addition. Right. And, and there what, are those who would say that this paragraph was actually later, later added later by a Christian writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just did want to say, I think we said that that was history of the Jews. That's actually Antiquities 3. It's Antiquities, yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, you said, though, that there's no actual evidence of there that. There is no textual evidence of it. The only reason to reject this is if you reject the resurrection. So if you don't believe the resurrection, then you're going to say, well, Josephus didn't write it. But you can't go to a text of Josephus that excludes this chapter. Gotcha. Yeah. See, me and my dad have argued over this so many times because I've always heard that. I've always heard this was an addition. And I just assume that to be the case because, like you said, nothing else he says really – Right. It, Nothing comes off that he's a Christian, right? But if you're saying though, like 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 you just said that this is something he's saying, yeah, people say this happened. This this is a belief. It's still proof of the resurrection. You know what I mean? Whether whether or not he actually followed, but yeah, that's interesting. Another. Testimony of the resurrection, the Gospels themselves. I mean, they are early. Uh, We do have, now, we have scraps of the Gospels, just like we have some scraps of 1 Corinthians that come very, very early, like 115, 130 A.D., so less than 100 years, well, a hundred years after the resurrection of Christ, uh, you get uh, documents. Is that the Dead Sea Scrolls? No, no, no. It's it's papyri. Um, it's uh, a collection of writings, either the Gospels or Pauline literature. But we don't have the whole collection. We just have literally scraps, like maybe four or five lines. But it's enough that we know what they're quoting and we can say, okay, so it looks like the document was existing and was in circulation by 115, 130. Um, the Gospels themselves, probably written between 50 and 80 A.D., except for John, which would have been written 90 or 95 A.D., and they all have detailed Uh, eyewitness accounts of the resurrection. You have Clement of Rome who writes, he's one of the apostolic fathers, he writes to the Corinthians, chapter 24. He would have written this around 95 AD. He says, let us consider, beloved, how the Lord continually proves to us 
that there shall be a future resurrection of which he's rendered the Lord Jesus Christ the first fruits by raising him from the dead. Let us contemplate, beloved, the resurrection which is at all times taking place. Day and night declare to us a resurrection. The night sinks to sleep and the day arises. The day again departs and the night comes on. Let us behold the fruits of the earth, how the sowing of the grain takes place. The sower goes forth, cast it into the ground, the seed being thus scattered, though dry and naked when it fell, is gradually dissolved out of its dissolution. The mighty power of the providence of the Lord raises it up again, and from one seed many arise and bring forth fruit. Now, he uses a lot of metaphors here, day and night. Uh, he uses uh, seeds. He uses uh, images. But he starts by saying, the Lord raised Jesus Christ from the dead first. That's the first fruits. He resurrected. That's around 95. That's around 95. Then you have Ignatius, who writes a letter to the Smyrnians around 115. He says, I know that after his resurrection, he was still possessed of flesh. And I believe that he is so now. When, for instance, he came to those who were with Peter, he said to them, Lay hold, handle me, see that I'm not an incorporeal spirit. I'm not a ghost. Immediately they touched him. They believed being convinced both by his flesh and spirit. For this cause also they despised death and were found its conquerors. After his resurrection, he did eat and drink with them as being possessed of flesh, although spiritually he was united to the Father. So what Ignatius is saying here, he says a couple of things. First of all, Jesus rose from the dead in a flesh body. He ate and he drank with them. Um, he says, handle me. Put your, put your fingers in my wounds. Put your hand in my side. And then he also says, they despised death. Ignatius, too, recognizes that every single one of them went to the grave saying this. He rose from the dead, and when they gave them the choice, recant and live, they said, I can't. I I can't say it's a lie because I saw it. It's the truth. Right. I think that that that's sort of a similar thought to me is like what Paul says to Timothy. Like it's just just remember what happened. Like he, he's leaving Timothy basically and he's saying like the one thing you just need to continually remember is that Christ rose from the dead. That's right. Like you need to remember that. That's right. That's uh, that's wild, man. Andy Stanley, um, big preacher out of uh, Atlanta, Georgia. He's been traveling around. He has uh, 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 a series of, of uh, teachings that he has. His most recent one, uh, it, what he says is relatively simple. He talks about the resurrection, and he said, uh, you know, Jesus prophesied that he would raise from the dead 
And then he went and he did it. That's good enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> and what what Stanley is saying is this is the center. This is uh, uh, the stepping stone for the rest of Christian theology. It all starts here. And, you know, I think he's right. Now, what he says, he does bring out the fact that it is not just the resurrection. It's the fact that Jesus said he would rise from the dead. He did it. I went through there about 20 different times in uh, Scripture where he says this. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly, that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Beyond that, I mean, he's really just quoting the Old Testament. Like like he's saying it's going to happen to him, and then it does. But also, hundreds of years earlier, other people were saying it was going to happen to him. They were saying the Messiah was going to suffer and would be killed, and yet he would reign. Now, how does he reign unless exactly. he comes back to life? And then they—I mean—it says that um, that that uh, that David will reign over them. That this new David will reign. Well, Jesus is from the line of David. You know, like it—he fits all the criteria for the man that has to be the Messiah, and then he does all of the things that the Messiah will do. I I don't know. And he does what he prophesies that he'll do. I will come back from the dead. Now, there were other people that Jesus raised from the dead. This is different, though, because nobody raised Jesus. Being dead, Jesus just said, okay, Let's come back to life now, and yeah. does yeah says <laughs> nobody he, else does that. He, he lays his life down, and then he'll take it back up again. That's right, and he does, and he does. Man, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> the funny thing is, after all this, if somebody just doesn't want to believe this, they're just not gonna. So, what do you do if if uh, somebody and and legitimate question, and I'm not. This is not a leading question because I don't have an answer. If somebody says, I just struggle with that, what's the best way? Pray for them. Be their friend. But wipe your feet and move on. And I think be willing to say to them, you know what? It is tough. It's, it's, It's hard to grasp this. I believe the way I believe. You believe the way you believe. But. Do you want to keep studying this? Do you want to keep talking about this? And just try to keep that conversation going. And I mean, in all fairness, um, it's pretty hard for me to picture World War II happening. Sure. I know it happened. Right. There's video evidence. But the I Holocaust. Can, I can watch video evidence, right. video footage of World War II or the Holocaust, and it still doesn't click with me. And there are people who say the Holocaust never happened. Which that, that is, was all. Go away, silly yeah. people. <laughs> right, 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 right. There again, you get to the eyewitness account. My, uh, my wife and I, I did a study program in Toronto, Canada. While we were up there, we got pretty close to a, uh, she was a checkout girl at the local grocery store. Mm-hmm. Oh, checkout girl. She was in her 70s. And she invited, she was Jewish, she invited us to her house over uh, Passover 
we went there and they showed us the 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 cutlery and the plates that they used 51 weeks out of the year and the cutlery and plates that they had because this was now unleavened and as they were showing us that I noticed the numbers tattooed on both of their wrists. Wow. They were in concentration camps. They were liberated. They were some of the few that made it out alive. Wow. But eyewitnesses, man, that's what it's about. Yeah. And I was not an eyewitness of the Holocaust, but I saw two people that, why would you go out and have five numbers Yep. Tattooed on your wrist. I've met one as well. Yeah. That's, it's, I don't, you're a liar? What are that's you right. Yeah, like? that's, that's no, something it, it, done it. to you, not something that you go out and do because of the joys of the Holocaust. That's, that's insane. It's the same thing, though. Why it would, is? Why would you choose to say I suffered in this way? What do you gain from it? You gain right. nothing from saying that this happened. It's the same with Christianity. They gained nothing earthly from it. No. Why would you do it? Right. Yeah. It was not a cushy life that they <laughs> that they uh, became a part of. It was a life of sacrifice and difficulty. And yet they did it simply because it's true. And that's just it. With all this evidence we can lay out. And I mean this this is the tip of an iceberg of evidence. These are just arguments against the the arguments against Christianity. These aren't evidences. All the evidence is for Christianity. Um, but my, my thing is, even if you compiled all the evidence in the world for why Christianity is true, it still takes your faith. Yeah. You still have to say, "Yeah, I believe that." Because it doesn't matter. It's like just like people with the Holocaust. Nobody here is going to debate that, that didn't happen. But like you said, there's people that will still say, no, yeah. it didn't. Right, right. Well, we know that's crazy. Yeah. But for some reason, people look at this differently. Yeah. You know, that, whatever. <laughs> I, I, guess, I guess that's what it boils down to is faith at the yeah. end of the day. So you got anything else? No, uh, you know, there are those four um, theories about why the crucifixion didn't take place, two of which you may hear today. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so, you, you may hear somebody say the other two. I doubt it. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you have a little bit of uh, uh, ammunition now to be able to say to somebody, well, here's why I believe it really did happen. Right. Right. Well... Thank you, Randy. Thank you guys uh, for listening. If you've got any questions for us, uh, you can send those to salty saints at becomehope.com or at questions at becomehope.com. Uh, whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on, give us a like, give us a comment, a subscription, whatever, um, a rating. All those things help us out. So uh, thank you guys for listening and stay salty. Well, the physician comes in and says, tells this lovely couple, hey, your son's not going to make it. But there's a young girl here in the hospital who just delivered a baby girl and she's given her up. She's going to leave her here. Do you want her instead? 
That was chart topper Ryan Stevenson sharing a personal testimony on The Walk, a podcast for worshipers. Join us weekly to hear artists, songwriters, worship leaders, filmmakers, and other creatives tell their stories in the form of a devotional. The Walk can be found on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast platform.